Today on What's My Frame, I'm chatting with Steven Tyler O'Connor of Apiero Horn Casting. Steven is an RDS award-winning associate for his work on Disney's Andy Mack, who was named the 2019 Casting Associate of the Year by CSA. He also sits on the Inclusion and Diversity Committees for CSA, working to make sure all voices are heard and represented in the industry. Outside of casting, Steven is a successful writer-producer at Chemically Altered Productions with a full development slate. Please join me in welcoming Steven Tyler O'Connor. Hey Steven, thank you so much for joining us today. Of course, thanks for having me. Can you start us off by telling us about your journey into casting? Totally. Um, I grew up in Arizona, graduated uh, high school, was supposed to go to ASU. I had like a Fulbright scholarship. And then I was at Thespian Conference my senior year and on a whim auditioned for the, an acting conservatory in New York City, got in, went there, went into a lot of student loan debt, um, much to the chagrin of my parents that were like, you had a full ride. Um, and I started going to conservatory and one of the requirements at my conservatory is we needed an internship in order to graduate. And I interned at CBS Paramount in Amy Herzig's office. Uh, then I graduated, the economy tanked in 2008 and I needed a job and NBC was looking for a casting assistant and CBS actually recommended me for the job. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So it was, it was a crazy, it was a crazy time and you know, a uh, 20 year old me was like, well, I can't 20, 21 year old couldn't really like turn down a job paying $20 an hour when uh, the economy was in free fall. So I sort of just like fell into it and I was lucky. Yeah. And, and that's something I think the more folks that I talk to, everybody kind of lands where they're supposed to. And you never know what building blocks you're putting in place that are actually for your adult self. Um, yeah. What is one of your personality strengths that is an asset in your casting? Uh, well, I, one of the things like I'm super passionate, I, you know, want, who, someone, as someone who wanted to be an actor, I have a lot of friends who are actors. Um, I have befriended a lot of actors. And so I'm very passionate about them. Um, I, I tell people like I get talent crushes on people and like you, you find an actor who you think is really talented. And then I'm just, I t make it my mission to try and like do whatever I can to give them as many opportunities as possible because I think they are so talented that their talent needs to be shared with the world. And I think you can, you can pay somebody to do a job, but you can't pay somebody to be passionate about someone or something. So it's like, I, my, my passion, I think really helps push me to try and not only get the best cast, but try and do what I can for actors that I like to try and get them into fun projects. That's really beautifully put. Right now, we are navigating some brand new territory in the industry. Um, do you have any advice for actors on how to stay motivated, creative, maybe share some things that you're doing in this, this new quarantine life? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a really rough period. I'm trying to think of this for myself as like, okay, it's kind of like hiatus and we'll be, we'll be off of hiatus at some point and then everything will go back and that for me is like a little mental trick um trying to keep to some sort of a schedule is easier on sundays than it is others but i'm trying to keep to that um luckily you know trying to watch the news that there's at least the news at least still has a schedule like the you know i like watching nicole wallace on msnbc every day at one so it's like every day at one there is you know, something, there's something to do, something that is, that is scheduled. Um, so during the weekdays, that helps having some sort of structure. The weekends are a little bit more nebulous because kind of every day is a weekend. Um, 
so having a structure in place has sort of helped me. Um, and then also just the awareness of allowing myself and forgiving myself for not being productive on a day that I maybe wanted to be productive to, to take it easy on myself. This is a completely unprecedented time right now. So we need to be kind to ourselves um, and allow ourselves to, if you're having a bad day, allow yourself to feel those feelings and have a bad day and hope that it's going to get, you know, that it's going to get better. Um, but then I have things that I want to do. I have my own personal projects that I'm working on. So that helps give me, you know, a semblance of like going to work and working on, on my own projects or working on other things and thinking about that. Also, you know, we are in the entertainment industry, watching TV, watching movies, that is part of our research and our jobs. And I've gotten a lot of that done because I've had a lot more time. The amount of series and I'm like, oh, I'll get to it. Oh, I'll get to it. Oh, I'll get to it. And I'm now like, I feel productive when I get to like remove something from my Netflix queue and be like, oh, okay, that's done. Yeah. Anything you've watched recently on Netflix that you, you really enjoyed or was a, a surprise hit? Um, in the realms of scripted, nah, oh, Sex Education. Um, the first season of that was kind of like, eh, for me, but then the last episode was good. And then I thought the second season was really good. Being really new has really stuck out. Like I watched, um, I watched a couple of things that I think it was indicative of why I always was like, oh no, I'll get to it later, I'll get to it later. And then I'm just now getting to it. It was like, okay, it's not good. It was kind of like people talked about it, so I watched it. Um, I'm glad that I've now seen it, but I was like, yeah, that wasn't the best show. I am watching this A&E show called 60 Days In about people who volunteer to go into jail and be like undercover informants for the jail. Oh, wow. Wildly fascinating. I would never in a million years do that. Never in a million years. It's kind of a trashy reality show in a way, but it also is something that is fascinating to watch. Um, and, but it's not scripted. So it's like, that's not necessarily, I'm not watching that to look like, you know, find actors. I'm watching it to sort of like decompress. Exactly. But I think so often actors feel like they have to be, you know, watching the great Hollywood classics or things like that. And sometimes you just it's good to just see people, even some reality television, just to see people, especially right now where we're all quarantined, yeah. to see people out in the world living their lives. <laughs> or try to be creative in, in doing the things you normally like. I'm a big fan of game nights. Um, and I have with some of my friends, we have figured out how to play, you know, games over Zoom and over Skype. Um, some, some of the games, like I like games like Secret Hitler and The Resistance and Avalon. It's like a social deduction role play game, mafia, werewolf, you know, good guys versus bad guys. Yeah. Um, and there's been some websites that have popped up that like allow everybody to log into a website to see the game board and then you're all doing it over Zoom. Oh, um, and then there's like a more traditional board game that I play with a friend of mine who's in Sherman Oaks. And what we realize is, well, I have the game and she has the game. Um, and it's a collaborative game, so we're playing collectively. Mm -hmm. So what we've learned to do is, like, she'll set up her board, and her board will be the main one, and then I'll set up my board and match hers. So that way we're seeing the same thing, but we're just discarding cards on either end for whoever gets a card or whatever. Trying to be inventive to how do we still do game nights, which are on, is honestly keeping me more sane because it's something I like to do but how are we making the minor adjustments to still be safe about it? Yeah, and I think we quite seamlessly, honestly, transitioned our lives 
and really went in search of still connecting with our friends and our family because as creatives, we're a collective community. We like to collaborate. We don't want to be in solitary, uh, you know, just in our apartments, just kind of watching TV by ourselves. And we instantly figured out how we can still connect with the outside world and our, our important people. Going off of that, I think it's so important for actors to remember that everything creative, all aspects of the entertainment industry, um, those folks have ideas that they're, you know, wanting to create projects, dreams that they have. What is a project or something you're really excited to work on or a goal for in the future that you have? So outside of casting, I have, a, I have two producing partners. We have a production company. And we had, before all of this started, a full development slate of about 11 projects. Um, yeah, so that, I mean, that kept me extra busy when I was also having a full-time job. And so we, I still have those projects that I need to work on. Um, a lot of my casting projects are on hold. There's little things to do here and there, but for the most part, that's sort of down. And it's freed me up to work more on this. Um, this morning, I was working on a, a pitch deck for one of our projects, and we uh, needed to do some edits. And so there was, we were working on that this morning. And, that, and then we finally got that off to the people that it needed to go to. So luckily for me, in wanting to create and develop those projects, like I'm, I was pulling images last night for another pitch deck that we're working on. And I was researching writers to try to, you know, find writers for another project that I'm working on. So there's tasks for my producing partners and I to do. Um, and so luckily for me, we're not letting the, you know, this quarantine pandemic, like, get us down. Like, we're still chugging along. Um, once we sort of, I feel like there's going to be a natural point where there's only so much work we can do until we hear back. And it's slower to hear back from people. And I, we get that. But we've already talked about, okay, well, we always have this idea to write this thing. So maybe once we do all of this other stuff, let's start writing that. It's just something to keep us busy and creative. It doesn't mean that that's going to become our priority when this is over with, but it's something that we eventually wanted to do. So might as well do it now when we have the time and then we can sort of back burner it until a later time. Absolutely. No, no time spent into your creative ventures is ever a waste. It will, it will stay there and it can always be polished or updated Yep. when you're ready to, to dust it off. And um, I know actors who are doing like getting friends together on Zoom and just reading a play. Like it's just, it's just something to keep them busy and doing something. And yeah. like you said, anything you can do is not, is not a waste of time. Yeah, we don't want to come out of this rusty. We want to still be working. And that's, you know, there's so many opportunities right now on Instagram. Folks are doing open calls to meet new talent. I think this is one of the best times, honestly, in history to not be represented or to get to know a lot of these casting offices and like really making the most of those opportunities because Lord knows you got time to prep those auditions right now. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about casting profiles a little bit, like breakdown services. What are some important elements that every actor needs on their profile? And then a follow-up to that is what are the materials that makes casting job easier? Um, things that actors can put in place there, you know, for you guys to understand what they're looking at. So, I mean, I think it's important to, you know, definitely have a headshot that matches who you are. Um, and then I always think there's a fine line, like there's some acting like profiles that I see on breakdowns where they have their like main headshot and they have like two or three other looks. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's fine. And then there's some profiles that have like 30 different photos on there. And I'm like, okay, you're not, you're not 30 different things. Like you need to sort of know your, know who you are and know how you're seen and really embrace that. So for me, if you're showing me 30 different looks, it means you don't know who you are. Mm -hmm. and 
keeping in mind what platforms are being used for what things. So breakdowns, actors access, at least in my world, is used primarily for theatrical. Whereas like casting networks um, or LA casting is more commercial. So if it's commercial, yeah, you can do more looks because commercials are a little bit more look-based than theatrical. But if you're going to be on breakdowns, like sort of, you know, have a couple of different looks, but make sure they're all very much in your wheelhouse and you're not overwhelming us with choices. Make sure your resume is updated. Make sure you have, if you have footage to make a reel, make sure your reel is up there. Um, and always start, I always tell people like start your reel off with like the biggest thing you've done. Um, I had a friend who wanted me to watch a reel and I did. And it, A, it was way too long. And B, by the time I, like, I got to the, I watched the whole thing and got to the end. And the end of it was like, and here was my guest spot on this NBC show or whatever. And I just wrote back and I was like, why is that not the first thing on your reel? To show that you actually booked something and something big in the network that aired. Like, why is that not the first thing on there? Because I guarantee you, no one is watching through four minutes of these other indie films that you've done that nobody's heard of to get to that. So start off strong. Um, and then that, it's like, you know, make sure that your special skills are things that you actually can do. Actors often want to feel busy, but sometimes that doesn't equal being productive. Uh, a lot of the projects that actors go after, they're expensive, they don't really move the needle. What are more positive ways that actors can stay on casting's mind? So my big thing is like, I tell people, you know, don't, ever make a decision that's going to like hurt you financially so like but outside of that say yes to everything because you ne you never know so you know write a web series go be in a web series you know even if it's like a web series that's for no pay and this is i guess more if you're starting off or if you're trying to build build a real build a resume build an upper like relationships say yes to everything do a web series because you never know who's going to be involved in that web, web series you never know who is going to be friends with somebody on that web series who's maybe going to see it and then down the line. Yeah. But with that said, don't call out of work and not be able to pay your bills because you're going to do this unpaid web series. Like make sure that you are available to do it and make sure that you're not putting yourself behind and then do it and say yes to everything. Just be around, get involved. Um, and don't waste your money on things that aren't going to necessarily be productive. I tell people all the time, like, I like postcards, like, I, I like it, but I like postcards from actors that I know, or actors that I've met, people that I've met, or people that I've taught, and then it's like, oh, hey, I booked this thing, here you go, yeah. and if it's handwritten, I'm going to spend more time looking at that, then it's going to be, like, the amount of times people spend money on just, like, mass postcards that get mass produced and sent like the one thing I want to tell people is like, okay, so there are at, at any point in our office, there's anywhere between five to 10 people at our office. So when 10 people get the same unpersonalized postcard, the first thing we're going to do is throw those 10 postcards in the, in the trash because it's clearly just spam. It's a spammed mailing as opposed to a spammed email, but it's just like, we don't have like the amount of that we get. It, there's no way to actually go through and if you think about just in one given day, if I get a hundred of those, there's no way that I'm gonna be able to watch a hundred people's whatever yeah. and still do my job effectively. But if it's someone's like, oh, hey, you know, like I was in your class last month and I booked this or whatever. Cool, great. I'm gonna pay attention to that a lot more. And, and the reason I do like postcards is like it's smaller and takes up less space on my desk. Um, but like be, be effective about it. Like, yes, it's going to cost money to send postcards, but be specific, be 
really specific about who you're sending things to and why you're sending that mailing, not just a, hey, because that doesn't get anywhere, but hey, I have a specific reason to send this and here it is. We're gonna, it, it just means we're gonna pay attention to that more on our end. And I think that that's so good for actors to hear is because it's not casting the widest net. It's knowing and understanding the office you're sending it to, the individual that you're sending it to, and also coming from a place of sharing information versus asking for attention. Um, makes it I mean, the amount of times when I'm on comedies and people are like, I remember I went to a showcase or something and it was me, like everybody in the room were all comedy casting directors. And the amount of dramatic scenes that we saw, and I was talking to one of the actors afterwards, like, yeah, I want to get into comedy. And I was like, so then why the F did you just do a dramatic monologue? Like, that doesn't make sense. You did a dramatic monologue in a room full of casting directors and you want to get into comedy. Mm -hmm. Then do a comedy. Yeah. Like, there's a level of common sense. And it's why, like, it's why I feel so passionate about, like, friends of mine who are actors who are doing well. And I give them advice and I give them, like, the unvarnished truth. And I was like, because I want them to succeed. I want everybody who comes in my room to succeed, but I know that's not possible. And what makes it easier to weed people out is when people make, you know, poor decisions like that. It, it makes it easier to be like, okay, well, they're not taking this as seriously as these other actors. Yeah, That's a beautiful segue to my next question. What are some common and easily avoidable mistakes that you see folks make in your room? So, I mean, part of it is like, you like really know your, like you, this goes on also with the, the photos. Like you have to know your type. You have to know who you are. Everybody's like, oh, I'm an actor. I can be, I can play anything. No, you can't. Meryl Streep can't. So like, I mean, look at some of her questionable movie choices. I love Meryl Streep, but some of them I'm like, oh, like okay. you, you can't do everything. So know who you are and don't go in to a room and do a bad audition because uh, it's not really you, but you haven't auditioned in a while or you haven't been to this office before. Because guess what? If you come in and do a bad job, we're probably not going to call you back in. It's, I tell people it's all about booking the room, not booking the job. If you can come in and give me a good audition, even if you're not right for it, but the audition's good, then I can be like, oh, okay, they're not it, but like they're good, so I'll remember them for something else. But if you come in and you're doing something that you're so not right for and you do a bad job with it, I am not inclined to bring you back in. So know yourself. If it's a comedy and you're not funny, turn it down. If it's a drama and you hate doing dramas and you can't deliver on those moments and, you, and you're more like a comedic person, then turn it down. Like I would rather somebody turn it down because they don't respond to the material than come in and do a bad job and waste my time and take a time slot that could have gone to somebody else. Um, and then I also tell people too, like when you're being walked to the tape room from the waiting room, I don't care if your dog just died. If we ask you how your day is going, lie and say it's going well. It's all about the energy of the room. And now if you come in talking about your dead dog, then that's the big elephant in the room and no one's really paying attention to your audition. And you just shot yourself in the foot and didn't set yourself up to having a good audition. Have you had actors just bring the energy down like that? Oh yeah. Because then you can't be, you can't be, you know, mean and be like, oh, whatever. Like then you have to ask them about it. Like you have to be polite and... Yeah you know, engage them in that conversation. And then it just ruins the, the energy of the day. And especially if it's a comedy, a dead dog isn't funny. No. So like you're, you, you think about that. Like, yes, you can deal with it. It reminds me almost of, uh, there's a Dolly Parton song 
called My Sacrifice. And she's singing about how she's on stage and it's Christmas and she's alone on stage performing for you all. Everybody, like everybody who's there with her family. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I'm not, I'm not angry at it. She chose to be a performer, but she still had to sacrifice. She, she is alone on a holiday when you're with your family and she is entertaining you and your family. Mm-hmm. And I think about that because, yeah, sometimes you're gonna have a bad day, but you gotta suppress it and you gotta like do what you need to do to get the job done and then go home and deal with your emotions or deal with whatever your bad day was. Yeah. It's, you have to learn to set it aside because ultimately it's a business and we need you to show up and be able to do the thing. If you're on set and your dog died that day, I still need to make my day. Yeah. I think sometimes actors feel this need to overshare. It's, it's kind of that, that need to ask a question, even though they don't really need the information. They just feel like it's not being personal if they don't ask a question at the top. And it's sometimes you need to throw away those old thoughts that you're having and just come yeah. in and do your job. And then if casting has a redirect, or you're like completely off the mark, they will trust casting to do casting job, you to do the acting job, producers to produce, writers to write, like trust that everybody's gonna be moving their their piece of the puzzle around. Absolutely. And I think it's so important too, like when you when you go into a room, you know, if there's a chair there and you didn't plan on sitting, ask if you can stand. Like that's a valuable question that you can ask because you don't know who what the person before you was doing. Yeah. Or who knows, they, maybe they wanted to sit. So don't let their decision force you into a chair if you wanted to stand. Now, if you have to sit because that's how our setup is, we will let you know. Yeah. So go in and, make, and ask, can I move the chair? Or, hey, can I sit down? I wanted to sit down. Like, that's fine. Don't just sit because there's a chair there. Like, make the space yours. And then with that, you don't have to ask a question. You may not have any questions. Yeah. But... So, so it's always like, don't feel obligated to, but if you have one, ask. Um, and to go with that, if you ask a question and you get an answer, you need to be able to, on the fly, adjust whatever choices or whatever decisions you've made on the fly to do it. So don't ask the question and then let it just fly right out the window. <laughs> exactly. Especially a pronunciation thing. Like if you, hey, how do you say this name? Okay. I'm, if you don't ask, it's going to be whatever it's going to be. But if you do ask, and I say this is how it is, then like you need to be able to do that. Yeah. Now, for someone that maybe has not been into your office yet, can you walk us through a session and you know who's possibly reading with the actor, who's running camera, things like that? Totally. So our offices right now are in Culver City. We're in like a shared workspace uh, type of venue. So people come in, uh, they sign in they sit in our kind of like shared common space which is like uh a couple of couches and stuff like that and then there's a huge conference table and a kitchen and like all that stuff and there's a lot of people who only rent a spot at that conference table so there there's a lot of people out there um we come and bring you back it depends on the level of the project if it's like a director session then obviously there's going to be more people in it if it's uh, a pre-read session is someone on the project will be in the room so if it's a project that like Amber, Danielle and I are doing, um, w- at least one of us will be in there and we'll either have an intern or a taper um, running the camera. So that way we can read with, with the actor. Um, depending on the project and depending on just how busy it is, it might be 
myself and Amber or myself and Danielle. Um, it really depends on kind of like the workflow of the day, but somebody on the project will be in the room uh, running the session. Um, and, then, and then we have somebody who is either an intern or a volunteer uh, running the camera for us. So that way we don't have to worry about the camera and uh, reading with the actor. Awesome. Now you clearly, you have actor friends, you were an actor prior, you like actors. Um, what is one of your favorite and what's some of your like least favorite elements of your job? Well, my favorite thing is, you know, obviously getting, you know, somebody getting their first job or getting a, like a big thing or yeah. someone that I have been trying to champion or someone that I've been tracking for a long time and like booking them on something or, you know, booking them on something and then it becomes a recurring gig and it becomes a bigger thing than what they had thought. That's really exciting. Yeah. I mean, and obviously the, the bummer part about it is like there, we say no a lot. We say no to people auditioning and then once people audition we say no to them moving forward that's never fun but i tell people it's not personal if it was personal you wouldn't make it in the room like if there are very few actors that like i really do not like and i hate i'm not bringing them in i'm not going to put myself in that situation but that's such a small 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 number of people so I love them like, oh, that casting director hates me. And it's like, they brought you in four times. If they hated you, they wouldn't bring you in. Um, but yeah, we say no. We say no if you can come in. We say no if you come in and you're not quite right. But what I try to tell and show my actor friends who I've had some of them come in and volunteer to tape for me. And somebody will come in and we'll have a couple people who were like really good. And I'm like, okay, obviously those are going to be a select. That's going to be someone that we're going to send to our director or to our producers. And then somebody comes in and they just like knock it out of the park. And it's like, okay, it's clearly them. And yeah. so then I always tell my friends after that session, I was like, so it wasn't that person A and person B didn't do a good job. They were great. We're sending them along. It's just that person C was 100% that thing. Yeah. And I think for them, it helps, it helps them see how much is outside of the control. And like, I, I it's so fatalistic I think to be like well I didn't get it so I must have sucked okay well no that's not that's not how that works mm -hmm. there's so many things outside of an actor's control as to why we go one way or the other so it's 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 nice for them to see that when they're not a part of the equation yeah thank you so much for sharing that because I think so often actors just like you're saying they get frustrated if they've been into a particular office numerous times. It's like, no, they're, they're trying to find you a job. And then also, unless you're given the gift of being in the room, you don't understand. Sometimes people just walk in and they bring that character right up off the page and make them three-dimensional. Mm -hmm. And regardless of how great a read you gave, you can't compete with the tangible living version of that character. Yeah, I was just working on a project and we were um, doing our final like we were doing the screen tests. Um, and so we were, during the work session, we were mixing and matching people and going into the, going out of that session, we sort of were like, okay, these are the two people that we think that we're leaning towards of wanting to cast. And then uh, we brought in one of the other actors once like the lead got there to chemistry read with them. And our lead was there and one of the actors came in and they were wearing essentially the same outfit. Um, and then all of a sudden they just like bonded over that. And it was really funny because, I mean, it was, it was like the same color sweater. They were both wearing jeans. It was very kind of like, oh, how random. 
-hmm. But part of those chemistry read sessions were to see people's chemistry and they just immediately had chemistry and were joking with one another. And that was so important. And that person ended up getting the job um, and not the person that we thought it was going to go to because that chemistry is so important. And it didn't mean that the other person didn't do a good job. Mm -hmm. It was just, that's sometimes that's just how it breaks and it's, it is what it is. Yeah. Now for, from pre-reads, callbacks, test chemistry reads what is your advice to actors to come back wearing you know similar outfits or is it you know come back and do the exact same thing that got you the call back um i feel like sometimes actors only shoot themselves in the foot they overcoach going back for callbacks and things like that because they get in their head rather than just naturally bringing their essence to the character yeah i mean i so it's going to be very different it's very different for every like producer and showrunner i had one showrunner who hated the fact that one of our series regulars throughout the whole process wore the exact same outfit every time. It doesn't bother me. I get that notion of like, yeah, this is what I was doing when I booked it. So this is, there's clearly something right here. Yeah. Um, but there's also been times when we've had our showrunner be like, they were great, but that outfit was not right. They need to wear something like this. Yeah. Um, so I would say stay, if you're not going to wear the exact same outfit, stay within the same realm of that outfit. Um, I know nothing about clothes, so, but like sometimes when it's like, when I lived in New York and when it was cold out, I would, I would layer. So I would wear like a long sleeve shirt and then put a t-shirt over it. Mm -hmm. So if I went in we wearing that, then I maybe don't wouldn't wear the exact same combo, but like that same general vibe of the long sleeve shirt with the shirt over it. Or if you had a fun flowy dress, then it doesn't have to be the same fun flowy dress, but it could be a different one as long as it's the same kind of vibe. My thing is you just want to make sure what you're wearing you look good in. Um, that it's not a random color that you're that doesn't match with your skin tone. Like you want to actually wear something that you know that you look good in and that you're gonna be confident in. Yeah. Um in the realms of like doing the thing, like if you got a callback because you came in and said two plus two is four, then I need you to come in for the callback and do two plus two is four. Like you, you can't overanalyze, you can't overthink. There was clearly something we brought you. Now, if we have specific notes, mm -hmm. we'll tell you, but come in and bring the thing that you brought. And then if we want to make adjustments, we'll make adjustments. But you're clearly, you clearly got called back for a reason. So you don't want to change it up too much. Um, I had an actor on a show who auditioned him, uh, sent it, like we auditioned him. We were casting off tape because our producers were out of state. And uh, this actor booked it, got the set. And then for some reason was like, well, I'm not doing what I did during the audition. And our director was like, but why? That is literally why I hired you. I saw you do a thing. I want you to do that thing. So, you know, and it also makes it easier. Oh, I went in and did this, like this one thing. Let me go do that one thing again. You don't have to start from scratch and re-prepare a new character and everything. Like, no, you already did something right. So just do that again. Let casting and the producers shape the clay that you've already established. Don't go and make a whole new clay pot and then come yeah. back and be like, surprise, <laughs> new character. Um, now, you have worked in the Disney family for many, many years. You worked on Shake It Up, Live and Maddie. I was a nanny for many years. Personally loved that show. Um, <laughs> perhaps it was all the blondness uh, running rampant on <laughs> the screen. Um, but when casting children's TV, especially Disney, it has its own tone and feel and essence. Um, do you have any advice for actors that are going in to navigate those rooms specifically in that material? So my former boss, Suzanne Goddard-Smythe, uh, said it 
really, really brilliantly once, and I'm going to butcher what she said. Um, but it was, we're all aware of this reputation of it being, you know, broader and bigger and stickier and whatever. And I, and I understand that, but I think the one thing that Suzanne likes to say is like, but you don't want to go in doing that. You just have to think about this world. It's just, everything is a little bit brighter. You don't need to, and this also goes along with when I worked on um, the Nickelodeon show, Nikki, Ricky, Dicky, and Don, I would always tell people like, look, our series regulars, they're wild and wacky and kooky, and they're doing the big extravagant stuff. You as the guest player that day is there to be grounded in reality, because if you're grounded in reality and what they do doesn't seem weird or out there, you help ground them be, because, and it allows them to go further because you're saying it's normal, it's real. Mm -hmm. So you want to come in and you want to be an authentically grounded, real person, but just a little bit brighter. Yeah. That's really beautifully put. If that was butchering it, then big <laughs> great. Um, for any young actors that are listening, hopefully with their parents, um, what would your advice be? And what materials would you suggest that children actors need before making that jump and uprooting, you know, perhaps a parent, their siblings to mm -hmm. LA, New York, um, or possibly, possibly even the secondary markets? Uh, what are the important elements for child actors? So the big thing is, I mean, if you're going to be in a city like LA and New York, you're going to need a, a work permit, a child's work permit that has to be renewed every six months. Um, you know, you want to have headshots and I know kids grow quickly. And so it's important to try and kind of stay up to date with, with updated pictures. Mm -hmm. um, there are kids acting classes. There are kids comedy classes. Um, that is, I think the vast majority of youth work is going to be in the comedy space. Um, not to say that there aren't, you know, kids in dramas, there definitely are, I just think, you know, volume wise. Yeah. Um, and, you know, comedy helps, I think, train people uh, in, for drama. So I think that there's a world for that. And that's part of it. It's like, have them go into a class and see if they can be disciplined enough to sit through a class and do the work. Because, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I was totally fine to do that because that's what I actually wanted to do. And some kids want to do school plays and they want to do that and that's all fun. But doing that and that being fun is one thing. Going and actually training and studying in a class is another thing because if you book a job, you're going to have to be on set for hours on end and go to school. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure that you have that discipline before you uproot your family and your life. Um, for a lot of the markets, SAG-AFTRA's website uh, will list SAG-AFTRA franchised um, agencies um, so if there's an agency, if you're, you know, if you live in Arizona, there are SAG-AFTRA agencies in Arizona that you could reach out to. Um, and, you know, you can start booking things locally and seeing if it's something that you want to do. So we're all very aware of that within the youth space. So don't try and compare yourself to other people, but just try and set yourself up and prepare yourself. You know, make sure that, you know, your kid is kind and that they're prepared and that they can do, do the scenes and do the material. Yeah, I think the key would child actors is maybe take a pause. I think sometimes parents and children both rush into the space because they are changing so quickly and evolving. But at the same time, you know, I myself was homeschooled, um, not because I was acting at the time, but I was a dancer. And it was a very different upbringing than my peers who were going to school. And it's, you know, it, it takes a different discipline. It's, it's, a, it's a very different lifestyle if you're going to be pursuing child entertainment. Yeah, and keeping in mind that they can go to regular school, but then if they book something, it's going to 
they're going to be shifted to, you know, school on set and may, for like one day, yeah, sure, whatever, fine. But if you book a series regular, you know, you're going to be uprooted. Your whole family is going to be uprooted, not only to potentially go to another city to shoot that show, but then you're going to be, you know, taught by an onset teacher and that it's just going to be a different structure. But right. don't be afraid of that change. Like that's what a good problem to have that you've booked a series regular job and you have to move. Yeah, that's a real good problem to have. I'm very good one. Um, now you've worked on the OA, which is just this phenomenon of a show for Netflix. What was that experience like? Because that's a world away from Disney. It was it was a really difficult experience because of having all the scripts up and up in advance and cross-boarding. And the way that it had started was nobody knew what was shooting first. So we had all the scripts and we had about, you know, like 80 roles that we had to cast within the span of about a month, month and a half, because we didn't know when, who was working first. Wow. And so that was, that was a challenge. Um, and then it was challenging with just some roles being so specific to a random thing, uh, like a random oh, I want it to be like this, and then trying to find that. And sometimes some things were so super specific. Um, and then it just was difficult because the OA was such a phenomenon of a show, but yet Netflix only paid scale. And so that became really difficult because they want the, you know, the producing team, Zoll and Britt, want the best actors possible, or they would want a certain actor, but then that actor you know, isn't going to work for you know, $900 for the day. And so that became like, some of it became like actually negotiating the deals became um, more difficult uh, than it was worth. Because in my mind, if they're not going to work for that level of money, why not go with this actor over here who's, you know, maybe not as amazing as this actor, but they're good and they're going to do the job and they're going to do it well and they're willing to take it for that money. So that became, that became a struggle. And it's hard when you have a show that is sort of iconic like that and then we're, our hands are tied behind our back when it comes to negotiating. Yeah. Um, the OA isn't your only Netflix series. You've also worked on the healing powers of dude. Um, just like you were saying about Netflix plays scale. Can you talk a little bit about the differences for casting for a streaming platform like Netflix versus say when you worked on parenthood on NBC and the, the differences of the, the power and the hierarchy and the decision-making process there for casting? So when I worked on Parenthood, I was working at the network. So I was uh, the an, the assistant in New York for the network. Um, so working for the network is also just a very different system. We still had auditions because we were the New York office. And instead of hiring a New York casting director to see people in New York, you know that that became our job. Um, but we had to do we would we would have auditions, and then we would send our link to the LA casting director they would go through our selects and then pass on any selects to the producers. And then anybody that the producers liked, then that would, be get, that would get bumped up to the studio and the network. Um, so anything that's a more traditional TV show is gonna be, there's just more layers. Like with Disney Channel, it's, it goes to the producers and then it goes to everybody at the network. If it were a show that had um, a studio and a network, it would go to the producers and then it would go to the studio and then it would go to the network. And at any point during that process, somebody could say no, and then we've got to start back all over again. So we could send selects to our producers and she could say, no, none of these people are right. Okay, we start over. We could send it to our producers and she's like, oh, I really like these three people. We could send those three people to the studio and the studio could say, no, none of them are what we want. 
So then we have to start over again. Or they could say, we like these two, but not this one. Mm -hmm. Then we would pass those two to the network and the network could say no to all, all of them. They could say, yeah, we're cool with this person. Or they could say, we like this one, but not that one. And we want more choices. Mm -hmm. So then it begin again, each time you start back from the beginning, have to build your way up. Yeah. So it's nice with something like a Netflix where they are very much, I think generally the streaming platforms are, they give their creatives a little bit more creative control. Like we hired you to create the show and this must, and this is your creative vision. So therefore like we trust you. Um, I don't think in my entire time on the OA or dude, or even on 13 reasons why I don't think I had the, the studio or the network reject a choice from our producer. Whereas there's been many times working for like Disney or Nickelodeon where they have come back and they said, no, we don't like this person. We want more choices or no, not this, no, not this. So I think streaming platforms give their creators a little bit more control over the vision that they want to go. Yeah. Now, when you guys get, no, we want more choices or like this person's not right for it. Do you guys go back to like the bottom of the mountain or do you go to base camp and start pulling your next round of favorites from those that you've already pre-read or does it you know vary between project it varies because it also depends on if we get any specific notes of why it was a no mm -hmm. no we don't want this person because we thought she was going to be prettier or we thought it was going to be this or we thought it was going to be this if they say it's something like that then we can go through our selects because usually what we'll do is like if we pull selects and let's say we had, a, we had a, a really great couple of sessions and we had 10 people. Well, we're probably not gonna send 10 people to our showrunner, we'll probably send five. Mm -hmm. So then what we'll do is we'll go back to those other selects, our second round of selects, and we'll send those to our producer. And then we'll kind of comb through other people. Like, did we, did we say, oh, this was a good read, but too pretty for what we're going for. And then now all of a sudden, if they want a prettier person, we can be like, okay, great, now she might be right. Yeah. So we go through our notes in that capacity and try and see if there's somebody that we saw already. And then sometimes we'll re-release the breakdown or sometimes we'll go through our break, the breakdown already and re-pull other people and do a new session. Um, it just depends on what the actual note is. Yeah. The, yeah. the amount of times I've heard no and we don't get a reason and then next thing you know, they booked something else on the network on another show, that mm. has happened. Mm. So they like them, just they wanted to pull them and put them in another pile. Yeah. Um, going back to Disney for a moment, you worked on Annie Mac, which was a real groundbreaking show for the channel. Um, you, your office also won an Ardios Award for your work on the show. For anyone that hasn't seen an episode, can you tell us a little bit about the show and how you all got involved with it, uh, the casting process? Totally. Um, so we got involved, uh, Amber, Danielle, and I had done a pilot for Disney that was like a huge, massive international search. And they weren't happy with any of the choices. Like we essentially just like couldn't find the person they were looking for. So that pilot kind of went away. And I had told the girls, I was like, I'm done. Like, I'm like, that was such an exhaustive search. Like, I don't want to do that again. And then they were like, oh, we'll read this one script that we got. And it was really cool and really edgy. And I was like, oh, this must be for Netflix or Hulu or Amazon. And the girls were like, no, it's for Disney. And I was like, has Disney read this? Like, are they aware what this is? Yes. Um, and I'm not 100% sure how Amber and Danielle got connected with Terry Minsky. Um, I'm assuming it was like through a recommendation from Disney casting. Mm -hmm. um, but we started that, we started that process. Um, and originally, 
this was not written to be so Andy Mack is Disney's first Asian-led family show Disney Channel's first Asian-led family show but it was not written to be that way it just so happens that Peyton Elizabeth Lee who played Andy she was the best person for the role I mean she screen tested opposite to like blonde hair blue-eyed girls that are very much the traditional Disney lead Mm -hmm. um and she booked it because she just was and is Andy Mm -hmm. so that was really fun and really exciting um, but it's groundbreaking because not only is it Disney's first Asian-led family show, but it's very groundbreaking in, in the subject matter. In the pilot episode, Andy finds out that her sister isn't her sister, but her mom who had her when she was like 15 years old mm-hmm. and, uh, was brought up thinking that it was her sister. And then finally it's revealed in the pilot that she is her mom. And that's a very controversial thing in the kids space. Um, and for me, I don't think it should be because I, I know families deal with that. So I think it, it helps with the representation. Um, and so people feel like they're not alone and that they know somebody who's had that experience where if they were going through it themselves, it, it allows them to see themselves represented on, on camera. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Disney Channel's, um, also it's Disney Channel's first TV show to have an out series regular character come out as gay, um, played by Joshua Rush's character. And that is also very groundbreaking just in the realms of representation and inclusion and, and visibility on screen. Um, not hinting at it, not whatever, but him actually like coming out, him saying the words, I'm gay. Um, him having sort of a love interest uh, in the final season of the show. It's, it's very groundbreaking. At our rap party, Gary Marsh at Disney said, he told Terry that if you imagine like standing in a circle, that she had to keep one foot planted in the circle but then she could stretch her other leg as far outside of the circle as, as she could. Um, and, you know, for any problems that I have with Disney and some of the decisions that they make and how they're not moving as progressively as, as I want them to personally, um, you know, I do think that it is very amazing that Disney Channel did this and it was very groundbreaking in the kids' space and now I hope they continue to, to do that. Yeah, it was definitely a huge step in the right direction of showing young viewers a truer representation of what the world really is like and taking yeah. a lot of things out of the shadows and bringing them full on into the spotlight and in an honest way. Yeah, um, and I had to multiple times when we were auditioning people, I always put in my audition notes, like this is not your typical Disney show. This is more grounded. It's more parenthood meets modern family. It's, it's you know, it's not, you know, it was a single camera show. We shot, we shot at single cam in Salt Lake City you know, like it's not a multicam with four cameras. It's not as broad. It's, and that was, that was a hard thing for certain actors who just saw that it was Disney and they decided to like bring in a shtick. And I'm like, that's no. I can tell from your face, you had a lot of people where you were just like, and take it down just a little bit more. <laughs> just take it down. Well, it's also for me, I'm like, can you not read the instructions? And that, that's the thing too, that actors can do. And, and, but what's really hard for me is I don't know if it's the actor or if it's the rep. You know, because like I give the appointment details to the rep. I would assume that when casting gives actors notes about the character, those get passed along, but who knows? But it makes me question, I'm like, can you not read the instructions? Because this is not that. Yeah, I think a lot of times it it boils down to different offices handle it different ways and what they pass on to their clients. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the flip side of that coin is some actors are like, I'm gonna read it five times to be sure I understand everything in these notes and some are like skim I got it and then kind of fly by the seat of their pants which totally if you're fortunate enough to be in the room to get redirects to audition 
read all of them, read all of those notes and directions. Um, now, you, outside of casting, you are also a producer. You've done some amazing work, produced content that has premiered at Outfest. You work a lot for trans rights. Can you share a little with us about your work with Opening Those Doors and helping those actors as well um, have their stories told and shared? Um, totally, yeah. So I, um, as I mentioned earlier, I have a production company and we have a full development slate of stuff that we're working on. Um, and then outside of that, you know, I've worked on other stuff and I produced a pilot presentation that premiered at Outfest that was part of their episodics uh, television program. I've produced indie films that have screened all over the world. Um, and I think it's so important when I was in school, we had teachers who said, you know, don't, you don't have to wait for somebody to give you a job. You can sort of create your own job yourself, which I did. I mean, that's, that's what sparked me. I wrote, directed, produced, and starred in my very first short film. Um, and after that, I was like, God, that's, those, that's a lot of hats. I can't wear that many hats. Um, and then I just started doing writing and directing and producing. And it was like, oh, I want to tell an interesting story. Um, and everybody wants to tell a story if, if they feel like they're not being represented in the media and they're not seeing themselves on camera. Everybody then wants to tell their own story. So that's what sort of sparked me with some of the films that I initially wrote and directed and produced. And then it became, oh, well, that's an interesting story or that's, that's an interesting perspective. I wanna, I wanna be involved in that. Um, I had been, from playing the, fast, the festival circuit, I was approached by other filmmakers to come on and collaborate with them on some of their projects. Um, and then other projects I've pursued, uh, when It Could Be Worse by Wesley Taylor and Mitch Jarvis was getting ready to do their second season. They were coming out to LA to do the second season. And I had never heard of it. And but all these like Broadway people that I followed were tweeting about it. And I was like, what is this show? So I looked it up. I binged the entire first season. I was like, this is great. And then I used my connections to get Wes's email. And I reached out to him. I was just like, hey, I would love to help out with this. And I think at first he was like, okay, like, I, you know, he didn't know me from Adam. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was like very quickly after he met and he realized that I wasn't crazy and that I was competent in what I was doing, that I really started to take a more hands-on approach. Um, and then, you know, once we did, it could be worse. Uh, him and Alex White, uh, Wesley Taylor and Alex Weiss started doing another project called Indoor Boys that um, as that started to get bigger, I helped them out as well. I sort of helped them out in the second season and then I uh, was a producer on the third season for them. Uh, you just want to tell interesting stories and you want to, that kind of visibility is important. It's important for me, not only as a member of the LGBTQ plus community, like I want to see my stories that they're being told, but I also understand what it's like to not have your stories told. So when I look to my trans brothers and sisters and I see how they're not, there's, my stories aren't being told enough and I have a lot of representation. So I understand, like, so I can only imagine how they feel where they barely have any representation, which is why shows like Pose, I think are so important because it is telling, um, you know, an authentic story. Yeah. And I also, it's why I'm on the, the Inclusion and Diversity Committee. And I don't just think that we need representation for the LGBTQ plus community, but it's why like women need more representation um, on screen and behind the screen. Racial minorities need more, uh, more representation and performers with disabilities. And it's, it's the question of, well, why can't that character be that? Yeah. And that is where I use my passion for actors and want to tell stories to really try to push that agenda of a more diverse and inclusive 
representation. I was talking to an actor the other day and he took his daughter to see Wonder Woman in the theaters. And once she found out that a woman directed that, she was like, well, I want to be a director now. It only takes just seeing that a woman in this case can do that thing or seeing that somebody in your situation or a similar situation can do that thing. It makes it possible. And once it's possible, then you can start dreaming that you can do it. All right, the last question that we ask everyone on What's My Frame is what is one thing you would go back and tell your younger self? Oh man, um, part of it would be, you know, you know trust the process. Um, it was the financial collapse in 2008 that I really kind of for a little bit got lost in the world and was like so confused with what was, everything was happening. And it really kind of took my life and, you know, sideswiped it. But then I landed in casting and that has sort of pushed me to where I am today. And I'm trying to think about that actually right now in the realms of the pandemic. Like, I don't know how this quarantine is going to affect everything or how it's going to affect my life. But like, this is another, another situation where life is kind of sideswiping me. And I'm trying to trust in the process that like, I'm doing everything that I can to set myself up for success. So who knows? I mean, fingers crossed, I, we can come back from this, this quarantine, I could sell all 11 of my shows. Like, that would be amazing. Like, if, you know, something very positive came out of the one, a really dark time, you know, 12 years ago, I'm hoping that something really positive can come out of this dark time. Um, and so I, I guess it would be, you know, trust, trust in the universe, as they would say on Andy Mack, like you've got to trust that things are going to happen the way they're going to happen. And you can either fight the change or you can embrace the change. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show. It was amazing talking to you and hearing about just your wide span. I mean, you're so young and you've already done so, so much. It's wild. So thank you so much for sharing all of your insight and knowledge with us. Of course. Thank you for having me. Hi everyone, thanks for listening, and to my guest today, Stephen Tyler O'Connor. If you want to learn more about Stephen, you can follow him on Instagram, at Stephen Tyler O'Connor. If you enjoy the show, please rate, review, and subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And tell a friend. Our goal here at What's My Frame is to encourage, educate, and inspire a creative community. You can follow us on Instagram, at What's My Frame, for daily blogs, industry news, and giveaways. I'm Laura Linda Bradley, and this is What's My Frame.